Hey, welcome to the sermon series from Life Church Green Bay. It's our mission to bring the life-giving message of Jesus to the 920 and beyond. We're so glad you're here. If this is your first time joining us, we want to do life with you. While you're listening, fill out our hello card on our website so we can connect with you. Visit lifechurchgreenbay.com forward slash hello to fill it out. Make sure to check the I'm new here and online options while filling out the card. Again, we're so glad you're with us today. Here's this week's message. All right, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew 6, if you don't have a traditional Bible, but you'd like one and you're comfortable in raising your hand, do that. And one of my friends will bring you one. You can either borrow that or you can keep it. It's our gift to you. You can also open up the, the Bible app. It's also called the YouVersion app. And all the notes and scriptures have already been uploaded. And we'll put all this stuff up on the screen behind me. If you're watching us online or at one of our other gatherings, I love you. And I'm so glad that you guys are part of our family. Listen, I didn't want that to end this morning. Like I just, I was like standing down there going, man, I wish that there was one more song. I wish that there was just another opportunity to just kind of lean in. And so like Pastor Sonny said, thank you for your faith. Because it's not just the worship team that develops a worship atmosphere. It's you that develops that. And can I just say kudos to you guys and to your heart and to your spirit. I've watched you guys over the last year really lean in, press in, become a part of a culture of worship that happens here. And so if you loved what was happening here this morning, you can have more of that later this week in our worship night. And so I'm so excited about it. You can look up our app or uh, our website to get more information about that. And she's right, like even just when she said what Jesus had said during that episode of The Chosen, and it was an episode that we had watched before. It was like we're coming back and we're re-watching it, and we're re-watching it because our kids are watching it. Talk about a miracle. Our kids are leaning in on that, and our, our kids are binging Jesus. Isn't that crazy that they could be binge? Of course, my son's also binging Swamp Things, which is the thing about the Florida Gators. But nevertheless, he's binging Jesus, and he's texting, and him and I are doing a, a Bible plan together about spiritual warfare. And when you do a Bible plan with someone, there's a an opportunity for whoever is on that plan to take notes and you can see each other's notes. And so it's been so insightful to be able to see the things that God has been revealing to him. And it's been so insightful to see the things that God is doing in you guys. And so continue to press in. And so when she mentioned what Jesus had said during that episode, I was standing down there. And and when the picture of that scene came to my mind, I started to cry again. And then the song came on. I never heard a woman lead that song before. And when Pastor Shelby, which just let me just say this, I'm not even in it yet, FYI. I just, just let me say this, because we just last week, We're at the Belonging Company in Nashville. Amazing church. Our daughter's interning there. And it's probably, in my opinion, it's probably the number one worship church in the world right now. Can I say this? You could have taken exactly what happened here this morning, put it on that stage in Nashville, and they wouldn't have noticed one bit of difference between that and between what they're they're getting on on their records. And so sometimes I stand down there and I go, God, you are giving me more than I deserve. Like I don't deserve to have this kind of atmosphere. And so that, that doesn't just start with our team. That starts with you. And so just a few kudos to you guys. I love you guys so much. I just wonder like, do you guys ever, do you ever worry? (laughs) I mean, of course you do. We all, we all do. But have you ever noticed most of what you worry about never actually even happens? Uh, this last week, I was coming back 
our staff guys, we were all up at the reserve in North Carolina. And so I was flying back Thursday because I had a chapel to do on Friday before the Seahawks game. And so I wanted to come back a day early so that I left myself with some margin. And not only did I want to come back a day early to leave myself some margin, when I, when I built my itinerary, I made sure that my connection in Atlanta was three hours long. I had the longest connection in Atlanta that you could get because I wanted to make sure that I made my next flight because sometimes flights to Green Bay can be limited. And so I got on the flight in uh, Greensboro, North Carolina, and uh, about 30 minutes after we were supposed to take off, the pilot came onto the PA and just wanted to let us know, nothing to worry about. It's just a, a light has come on in the cockpit. One of the fuel pumps is, is uh, showing an error. It's fine, because we have six of them. We can make it. We think we can make it. We think we can make it on five. Hello, we don't ever use the word think when you're making this announcement, just say, you know, don't even tell me about the fuel pump, number one. Just, just say, just, just say someone's sick. Just say the flight uh, second guy isn't there. Say that you're on the phone. Just say anything other than there's a light, the fuel, one of the fuel pumps is bad. And then he said, oh, and in here in Greensboro, they don't actually have on-site maintenance. They contract the maintenance. So we've made a call and Jim is on his way here and hopefully he finishes with his dinner before he can get. And so we, we had to wait until a guy came from off-site to come in there. And at this point now, it's 45 minutes. I've got a three-hour labor. I'm still okay. But just as Jim was about to get there, a storm started to roll in from Winston-Salem and lightning started to strike. And the pilot came back out and he said, friends, nothing to worry about. There's a storm that's within our, our proximity. And, I, and he takes out his phone and he goes, I have a little app that every time lightning strikes within a five mile radius of this airport, we have to delay the takeoff for another 15 minutes from the time that that strikes. And so it's probably just a small storm. Don't worry about it. But every time it strikes, it, in real time, it refreshes my app. So 45 minutes became an hour, became an hour 15. Every time lightning struck, I cursed the sky. Four, dang it! You know, it's just like, oh my God. And so it, it turned into two and a half hours. Now my, my layover is getting shorter. And, uh, and, and Jim still has to get there. And then he got there, but then he wasn't able to start because of the storm. And so then we had to wait for the storm to end. And then when the storm ended, we had to wait for the maintenance to take place. And in, and in the meantime, people are being hot because there's no air conditioning on the flight. And so there were people who they didn't really need to get to Green Bay. And so they were getting off the plane in mass numbers. And, and, then, and then when the maintenance was done, the pilot came out and said, friends, listen, good news, the storm is gone. The maintenance has been performed, but we do have to wait for the, for the gate crew to come and unload all of the luggage of every person who has gotten off this plane. And so I'm on the phone with Delta Airlines trying to book another flight. So I, I clearly was gonna miss my connection. And so I booked myself for a red eye from Atlanta to Milwaukee that would land at 2 a.m. I could still get here for my two o'clock the next day chapel. But the whole time, I can just see, I can just feel it. I can just, and, and, then, and then I could, I could hear it. Because you ever, you know, you ever, when you get worried, I tap my toe and then I tap 
and then I tap both toes, and then I, and then next thing you know, I'm Neil Pert playing Tom Sawyer on the drums, but it's really just, it's really just worry, and then it becomes this. Then it goes from to bro. And then it goes from bro to seriously. And then it goes from seriously to the guy behind me had had enough. He goes, shut the door! And I'm like, oh my God, we're going to have a fight on the plane. This is the most insane thing that's ever going to... And so we went from a 614 departure to a 1050 departure. When we landed in Atlanta, I had missed my first connection and I missed the red eye. It was 1240 when we landed in Atlanta. And so I took an Uber to a hotel and I slept for three hours. And then I I got on the plane at seven o'clock the next morning in Atlanta to Detroit instead of Atlanta. And it was delayed. I had a 31-minute layover in Detroit to get from my flight to the flight to get to Green Bay. And the whole time, I'm like, bro, I've only got 31 minutes. We don't have one minute to spare. And the flight was delayed. And the, the flight attendant came on. Ladies and gentlemen, our flight is delayed. And I was like, seriously, bro, shut the door. No, it's just like... <laughs> It was a six-minute delay, and because uh, of the delay, because I fly so much, they, they, like, take it, like, they took me to the gate, and I was tripping. I had 26 minutes to make my connection, and I was so stressed out. I was so worried. I was so mad. I wasn't going to make my, my, like, if I miss here, I've got Pastor Dallas, but if I miss the chapel, like, I don't have a, I don't have an assistant. Like, I don't, it's just... The call, like, I don't know who's, who's going to do the chapel. And in my mind, I was like, oh, my gosh, bro, I'm going to get fired. And it's only the preseason, and it's the Seahawks, and they suck anyway. So I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> so they literally walk me to the gate, and I'm sweating, and I'm panting like I just ran the Boston Marathon. And when I got there, guess what? My flight to Green Bay was delayed an hour. <laughs> I didn't have anything to worry about. I would have been totally fine. I landed in Green Bay at 10.30. I didn't have the chapel until two o'clock. I'd spent all that time tapping my toes and rubbing my legs and clearing my throat, saying bruh and seriously for absolutely no reason. And I'm not alone, we all do it. In fact, researchers at Penn State recently conducted a study that verifies just how unlikely most of our worries actually are. Over a period of 30 30 days, any time a participant in the study noticed that they were feeling worried, they were instructed to write down specifically what that worry was. Additionally, the participants received a text four times a day prompting them to record any worries that they'd experienced in the past two hours just so the researchers could ensure as many worries as possible were documented. Every evening over the course of those 30 days, the participants then reviewed their list of worries to see if any had actually come true. Uh, And when reviewing the responses, the researchers focused on worries that could be tested within the 30-day period. For example, I'm going to fail my math exam tomorrow would be testable, whereas I'm going to contract cancer at some point in my life was not. The average person reported three to four testable worries per day, but 91% of them were false alarms. And and of the remaining 9% that did come true, about one-third of the time, the outcome was better than they had expected. 
Interestingly, for about 25% of the participants, none of their worries ever materialized. These findings have been labeled worries deceit, meaning worry implicitly demands our attention because we perceive the threat to be real when in reality, it's nearly always a false alarm. I wanna talk about that today in a message we're calling First Things First. Let's pray. God, we love you. We honor you. Thank you for this day. It's the day that you have made. We're gonna rejoice and we're gonna be glad in it. Regardless of what is happening in the background, regardless of what's happening in our atmosphere, God, we are going to be thankful for it. And so today I pray in this message that our hearts and our minds would be changed, that they would be made to be more like you and less like us in Jesus' name. Amen. So Matthew 6, Jesus says, therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about what you're going to eat or drink, your body or what you're going to wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothes? I mean, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly father, he feeds them. Aren't they much more valuable than you? Aren't you much more valuable than them? Can any of you add a single hour to your life by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the fields grow? They don't labor or spin. But I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like any one of them. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, won't he clothe you even more, you of little faith? So don't worry saying, what are we going to eat or drink or wear? That's what the pagans run after. But your heavenly father, he knows you need him. You know, worry is like a pinwheel on your phone or your computer that spins while you're trying to find what you're searching for. Life is like that. See, the more bogged down your device, the more bogged down your system, the longer the pinwheel spins. We worry a lot. We worry about inflation and immigration, the election and the economy, safety, security, our salvation and the salvation of others. We worry about making enough money or having enough time. Like I told our staff guys this past week, no one makes enough money or has enough time without incorporating one word into their vocabulary. And that word is no. We have to set priorities. We've got to determine the things in our lives that are critical and the things that are not. I've spent a lot of time thinking about that over the last 10 years. I've, I've, I've honed them down. In fact, it's probably one of the most viewed and the most requested messages that we've had in the last decade. And so I believe that God has given me, I call them my five. And, and here's what my five priorities are in order. It's, it is God, me, Sonny, my kids, my immediate family. So you see, like you're not in there. The church, the church isn't in there. The, the, the city isn't in there. It's not that you're not a priority. It's not that the church isn't a priority. It's not that the city isn't a priority. It's just not as big of a priority to me as my mom or my dad or as my kids or as my wife or myself or as God. And see, what's happened is that that list is the filter on how I give out my time. And so if you want time from me and I have time, you can have time from me. But if you, if you want time from me and, and Pastor Sonny wants time from me at the same time, you're going to have to find a different time to get my time because I have developed a filter for the priorities of my time. See, see, I can't, I can't properly filter my time if I don't have priorities. And so, so no one has enough time unless they learn the word no, just like no one has enough money if they don't 
learn the word no. Like, like, I have taken the same concept of priorities in my time, and I have now incorporated them in my money. And the, and the more that God has trusted me with an abundance of finances, I've had to come up with priorities on not only how I'm going to spend my time, but on how I'm going to spend my money. And so I thought, I've told all of you guys many times what my, my, my big five is personally, but I thought, why don't I share with you, like I shared with our staff guys this week, this is my financial five. Number one is tithe. Number two is save. Number three is invest. Now, investing, that's not, I'm going to take $2,000 and I'm going to put it into some sort of a fund. It could be $20 that I've determined that, I, like, it's just, like, it's a little bit, it's a baby step. It's like the what about Bob? Like, I'm baby stepping to the door. Okay, Dr. Marvin, here's my $20. What can you do with my $20? But listen, I can't give $20 to a fund before I give 10% to God because otherwise I just might as well take that $20 bill and I might as well light it on fire. And so it's tithe, save, invest, bills, and myself. I am in my financial priorities because I know that if I bless myself, then I can bless others. Like there's stuff that I like. And I, I, as a believer, I had to get to a point where I stopped apologizing for the things that I like. Like I like shoes. I don't know if you've, any of you have ever noticed this. I am, a, I am the definition of a sneaker head. And I can't feel bad if I buy a pair of sneakers for myself because somebody else may think that I got too many sneakers. Whatever, man, the devil is a liar. Sneakers are like chocolate. You can't have too much. I'm just saying. But here's what I know. I'm not going to buy sneakers before I tithe. I'm not going to buy sneakers before I save. I'm not going to buy sneakers before I invest. And I'm not going to buy sneakers before I pay my rent in Jesus' name. And so I have a time priorities and I also have financial priorities. And Jesus knew the pressure that we'd feel like we were living under. So he said, can any of you add a single hour to your life by worrying? <laughs> no, then don't worry. Don't, don't say, what are we going to eat or drink or wear? That's what the pagans do. I mean, God, your heavenly father, he, he knows what you need. And so we have to set up priorities. And in the next verse, Jesus gives us what they should be. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. If you remember a few weeks ago, I talked about the significance of the kingdom. In our Western context, we look at a kingdom from a territorial concept, borders and boundaries. But, but in the first century, that wasn't the Jewish understanding. To the Jewish people, a kingdom was about authority, meaning wherever a person who was a subject of the kingdom set their feet, as long as they were obeying their king and the king's will was being done, the place that they set their feet became a part of the kingdom. It became sovereign soil of the kingdom that they represent, which is why Jesus said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we're called to be kingdom people and kingdom builders. And so I, I see Jesus giving us in this script uh, three kingdom priorities, okay? Here's the first. The first kingdom priority is that we should be establishing and expanding the kingdom wherever we are. Walmart, the bank, your job, the classroom, your neighborhood, 
We should be establishing and expanding the kingdom wherever we are. He said, seek first the kingdom of God. But how do we do that? Three ways, three ways to establish and expand God's kingdom. The great commission, the fruit of the spirit and the gifts of the spirit. First, the great commission, Matthew 28, 19. It says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And when we see Jesus' disciples doing that in the book of Acts, the kingdom didn't just expand, it exploded. It says that people were added to their numbers daily. People were added to the church daily. And I wonder, are you doing your part to add to it daily, to expand the kingdom on the daily? Are you representing the kingdom everywhere that you go? Are you representing the kingdom in your heart, in your mind, in your body, in your soul? Are you on a plane tapping your toes, playing Tom Sawyer, talking about bruh? Or are you the person that remains calm mm, in the storm? Ooh, I wish I had more time because I heard a guy preach a message here about a month ago, talked about when the disciples were in the storm and that Jesus had told them where to go. And in the middle of the storm, they knew the directive. They knew the direction that they were supposed to be in. So the disciples could look at the storm and say, are you the other side of the lake? Then storm, you better keep on moving. And some of us need to look at the storms in our lives and say, are you the other side of the lake? You better keep on moving. Is this financial discretion that we're in? Are you the other side of the lake? Or did God promise me that I would live exceedingly and abundantly above all that I can ask for? Then, then you better keep on moving because I ain't got time to have financial problems. If this relational problem that you've got in your life, is this the other side of the lake? Or did God call you to dip till death do you part? You better keep on moving because this isn't the other side of the lake. What are you doing on the daily? to expand the kingdom. The second way to establish and expand the kingdom is the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5 says the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. I mean, Jesus said a tree is known by its fruit. What is your fruit saying about your life? Do you never have joy? then you are disconnected from the source of joy. Do you have peace? Do you have patience? If not, you are disconnected from the root, from the source that brings you. The third way to establish and expand the kingdom is the gifts of the spirit. The prophet Isaiah gives us a list. He says their wisdom and understanding, counsel and might, knowledge, fear of the Lord, obedience and grace. Hmm. The apostle Paul lists them like this. He says they are wisdom, knowledge, faith, miracles, prophecy, healing. Thank you for your faith. Discernment. I wonder if you know what your spiritual gifts are. If you don't, go to discover us and find out. And once you do find out, use those gifts. You know, I've discovered that generous people are the only people who regularly give gifts. And the only way to cure generosity is with a lack of gratitude. Show God your gratitude by using your gifts. And so our first kingdom priority is establishing and expanding the kingdom wherever we are. And we do that through the Great Commission, the fruit of the Spirit, and the gifts of the Spirit. Our second priority, watch this, is righteousness. Seek first the kingdom of God, then his righteousness. 
So don't let that churchy term scare you. Righteousness just means being in right standing with God. Are you in right standing with God? You know, uh, living in righteousness actually gives us kingdom citizenship. The apostle Paul said, you Gentiles, that's us unless you're Jewish. He said, you Gentiles, you're no longer strangers and foreigners. Mm -mm. You're citizens with everyone else who belongs to the family of God. Uh, my son, he just got his Canadian citizenship. He thinks he's Jason Bourne because he now has two passports. And uh, I hired an attorney actually to file everything and I couldn't have done it without him because it was all so confusing. If you make one mistake, they start your whole process over. And so I went to an immigration attorney in Ottawa, Canada. He was right down the road from the capital and it took forever. Uh, because of COVID, it usually takes uh, 11 to 12 weeks, but instead it took us a little over two years. Uh, but the minute that Isaiah got his certificate of citizenship, he and I uh, went to the local government of Canada office. And within one day, he had a Canadian social, a Canadian passport, and an OHIP card, an Ontario Health Insurance Plan card, AKA, come on somebody, free healthcare. Come on somebody, in Jesus' name. Here's what Paul was saying. When you're in right standing with God, you get all the kingdom benefits, which leads straight into number three. Our kingdom priority needs to be living in the blessing. He said, seek first the kingdom of God, comma, and his righteousness. Then all these things will be added unto you. What things? <laughs> Everything you've been worrying about. Like the prophet Jeremiah said, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. He's like a tree. You see this, you see this pattern? He's like a tree planted by the waters that sends out its roots toward the stream. It doesn't fear when the heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It doesn't worry in a year of drought and it doesn't stop producing fruit. Hmm. I was having a conversation with a friend of mine who I've been trying to lead to Jesus for about 10 years. And uh, his biggest challenge is that he's an incredibly wealthy guy. And the last conversation that we were having, he asked me uh, two questions that I thought were so poignant. He said, why are Christians afraid to live in abundance? Second question. And if they do live in abundance, why do they feel like they need to apologize for it? And man, he said that and I was like, hmm, not me, not me. I want to unapologetically live my life in abundance. You know why? Here's why. Because Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and life more abundantly. That Jesus didn't come to give us mediocrity. He came to give us an abundant life. So I want to claim that promise. I want to unapologetically live my life in abundance. Now, I'm not talking about money. I want to live in a spiritual abundance. But for me to live in a spiritual abundance requires effort. It requires work. It means that I have to start every day with him. I have to dedicate myself to before I do anything else, I'm going to give him the first fruit of my time. I'm going to give him the first fruit of my mind. I'm going to give him the first fruit of my heart. I'm going to give him the first fruit of my energy. And it's not always easy. Sometimes I don't want to wake up early enough to have time with God before I have time with anyone else. But I want to live in a spiritual abundance. And so I have to feed myself with this. I want to live in a relational abundance 
which requires that I have emotional generosity. That I'm giving my emotions to someone other than me. That when I come home from work and I'm grumpy, I don't grunt, but instead I pause long enough to figure out that maybe the person who's communicating with me had a hard day too. So I would rather alleviate things in their life than add things to their life. I wanna live my life in a like a relational abundance, which requires emotional generosity. I wanna live in an abundance of love, joy, peace, patience, come on kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I want to live a life of abundance. But too many of us are living a life of lack. And the reason we're living a life of lack is because we're running ourselves ragged, trying to have all these things added to us before seeking God's kingdom before getting ourselves in right standing with him. And so because of that, we take out loans. Because of that, we put things on credit. Because of that, we think that we can work overtime and rob from Peter to pay Paul. And so you're trying to buy a car that you're not gonna like in six months. You're trying to live in a house that you're gonna get mad because you don't have a landlord anymore because the roof is leaking. You're spending all of your time. The pinwheel is spinning in your life over things that when you lay on your deathbed, nobody's gonna go, man, I'm sure glad I work 12 hours a day, seven days a week and sacrifice the relationship with my kids and now they don't talk to me anymore. We've been trying to add all the, it's not that hard. Flip it. Seek first the kingdom of God. Expand it. And his righteousness. If you do those two things, all these things will be added. We just haven't been setting our priorities properly. We haven't been putting first things first. So I wonder if you'd be willing to do that. I'm willing, I'm wondering if you would be willing to change today. If you'd be willing to seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness, because if you will, get ready, get ready for all these things to be added. Would you close your eyes all across this place? Before we can seek anything first, we have to seek the first, the last, the great I am, the alpha, the omega. The Bible calls him the bright and morning star. Jesus, who is and was and is to come. The beautiful thing about Christianity is that it opens us up to have a relationship with our creator. That it's not piety. It's not religion. It's not programs. It is a connection. It's that thing that makes you cry when you watch The Chosen and he says, thank you for your faith. It's that thing that makes you cry when you feel the goosebumps when the songs start during worship. It's that, it's that thing, that thing that moves you, that makes you who it is that he called you to be. And some of you are here and you're not in that. 30 years ago, a guy named Scott Sneer from Portland, Oregon, led me to the Lord in a football locker room, and I've never heard from him again until this week. When out of the blue, he called me and he left a voicemail. And his voicemail, I could tell that he was in distress. And here's what he said. He was a running back on our football team, and I was a fullback. He said, Hennessy, 
It's sneer. I need somebody to block for me. Call me back. Some of you need somebody to block for you. Jesus is that one. And so this morning, I want to give you an opportunity to receive him into your life, to, to connect yourself with him, to become a Jesus guy or a Jesus girl. Here's how. The Bible says that it requires that we do two things, confess and profess. So I want to give you an opportunity to do both. In just a moment, with nobody looking around, with every head bowed, every eye closed, I'm going to ask for people to do two things. First is for people to raise their hand and make eye contact with me. And once you do that, you could put your hand down. That's your act of confession. Secondly, I'm going to say a few lines in a prayer that I'm going to pause and I'm going to ask everyone in here to repeat those words after me. If you repeat them along with everyone else, you mean them in your heart, the Bible says that you will be saved. You will enter into a relationship with Jesus. So with nobody looking around, if you're here today and you say, Sean, I don't have a relationship with Jesus, but I want one before I leave here. Would you raise your hand and make eye contact with me right now? Thanks. 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 Anybody else? Anybody see anybody? Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> I love it. Okay, I'm going to ask everybody in here to say these words. Say, Jesus, I've got sin in my life. I don't want it anymore. Please take it. Please forgive me. Come into my life. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Secondly, I wonder if you're here today and you'd say, uh, Sean, I'm saved. I'm a Jesus person. Uh, but I haven't been putting first things first. I want you to raise your hand right now so I can pray for you. Yes, 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 yes. Jesus, thank you for my friends who are in this place today. I pray that you would give them peace. I pray that you'd give them wisdom. I pray that you'd give them priorities. Help us to make first things first. In Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us this week. Still thinking about the message? Go follow our message recap podcast. Chew on that. The Chew on That podcast is a podcast where Life Church staff chew over the latest messages to dig deeper into our faith. Tap the link in the episode description to have a listen. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode. We'll see you next week. Thank you.